The year is 2000. Two, zero, zero, zero. And yo, Paul, where's the P? The podcast, right here. The movie, Love and Basketball. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Unspooled. I'm Amy Nicholson. And I am Paul Shear, and this is the podcast where we are endeavoring to watch and find the best 100 films of all time. We've already been through the AFI list, and now we are working through our own list, searching and sorting through different genres to find the best films that can then be sent up into space and prove to the aliens once and for all that humanity is is worth saving. Uh, Amy, we are on Couple Goals. This is the genre where we're going deep into relationship films. We talked last week a lot about Eternal Sunshine. So many people loved uh, that movie. And I feel like it was so great for us to have a conversation about uh, Charlie Kaufman and Michelle Gondry. And um, I'm so like kind of jazzed up about this podcast because I feel like I'm going deeper into films that I've already loved, but I'm also getting to experience different films that I hadn't really seen, like today's film, Love and Basketball. I did not really know that much about this film. I knew it was a big film, but I didn't, it kind of just shot over me. And I, and I love that kind of, not to pat ourselves on the back, but I love that kind of uh, structure that we're forming here on the show. A little bit of some classics and this is a different classic. And it's, and I feel like I'm, I'm, uh, I go to my TV to watch these things excited every time I'm sitting down. Me too. I mean, Love and Basketball turned 20 last year and there were gazillions of like happy 20th anniversary to Love and Basketball, uh, think pieces, interviews, everything, because this film has become beloved since it came out. It was a smaller hit that really grew in people's reputations. I came to it a little late. I came to it after I saw the director, Gina Prince-Bythewood's movie, uh, Beyond the Lights, a few years ago, which is a movie I have seen 12 times, 20 times. I'm not even sure. I love that movie. And then I was like, well, I need to go back and watch everything this director's ever done because she's amazing at romances. Uh, Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about this film, and we'll talk about it all because that's what we do here on the show, is that this film was inspired by another film on our list, which is When Harry Met Sally. That was her plan when she sat down to write this, to make a black When Harry Met Sally. It was what she said in an interview. And I thought that was so interesting how we talk a lot about how Annie Hall informs, you know, When Harry Met Sally and Harry Met Sally informs Love and Basketball. Groundhog Day informs Palm Springs. Like we get a lot of these films that are, staples in someone's life and then they get to make their version of it and i love seeing how different they are i don't think anyone would look at this film and say oh it's harry met sally but to know that that was a seed behind this movie is i love it i love it and i love that we are still in the same you know cocoon of harry met sally to look at it with that lens as well and i love that we got to watch a film where our heroine talks incessantly about how much the clippers suck well we're going to get into all that, but uh, <laughs> Amy, uh, check ball because it's time to unspool it. The year is 2000. Little slivers of paper called hanging chads create confusion in the outcome of the U.S. presidential election, leading to months of recounting before George W. Bush is announced the winner. 
of the presidency of the United States. Oh my gosh, how how far away that is and how close it feels. Uh, the founder of Microsoft, Bill Gates, steps down as CEO. Charles Schultz, uh, creator of the Peanuts, passes away as does any hope of any new Peanut comic strips content, which is something I didn't really realize until I was putting this together. There's not been a new Peanuts since 2000. Uh, Tiger Woods becomes the youngest player ever to win a Grand Slam in golf, and the big movies this year are Castaway, I Cried During It, What Women Want, I Cried During It, Meet the Parents, I Cried During It, and today's film... (laughs) love and basketball i wept i wept like a baby during castaway by the way like on not a pretty cry i was in the middle of a breakup and i think that that end scene where tom hanks is at the cross literally at a crossroads uh i was like oh it really it got me i remember how embarrassed i was to be crying that much in a movie does the breakup uh, but, explain all of those tears for all of the movies Were you ever- no i i really only cried at uh castaway but uh love and basketball got me too amy uh who's in it who wrote it who directed it what are we talking about Love and Basketball. It is the debut film by writer-director Gina prince Bythewood. It is the semi, I'm going to say very, very semi-autobiographical story of a young athlete named Monica, played by Sanaa Lathan, who is trying to balance her family, her obsession with basketball, and her lifelong crush on Quincy, the literal boy next door, played by Omar Epps, who also happens to play basketball. He's pretty good at it. Now, the movie, um, Gina divided it into four quarters that cover Monica and Quincy when they're 11 years old, then when they're seniors in high school, then when they're freshmen at USC, and then when they're out of college and wondering, what are they going to do now? This movie has so many fun people in it. We got Gabrielle Union in one of her very first roles as a cheerleader love rival right, right before she's going to be in Bring It On. Uh, Alfred Woodard plays Monica's mom. Uh, Dennis Haysbert of 24 in those Allstate commercials is Quincy's dad, who plays for the LA Clippers and sleeps with a lot of women, probably to make up for the fact that he's on mediocre team. Um, and our show's beloved Debbie Morgan uh, of Eve's Bayou is also here as Quincy's mom. Now, the movie Whoa, opened- whoa, whoa. Don't forget my my number one. My Regina, uh, Regina Hall is in this and she is great. I love Regina. And it was so, I just jumped up when I saw her on screen. I was like, my God, she's always so good. She's Uh, always so good. She plays Monica's sister, uh, Lena. She's amazing. uh, Let's, uh, let's hear a clip. Can we talk? Talk to your new girlfriend. Look, I took the whole of Burger King. (laughs) Cheap date. You shared time for me. So you messed around to prove a point? What'd I just say? No, you got your head so far up your ass, it took a cheap day for you to notice me. <laughs> what cue, man? Did I forget to kiss your ass like everybody else? You forgot to be there. That night you wanted to talk about your dad, I had curfew. What was I supposed to do? Stay. If I stayed, I wouldn't be stark. Well, at least you got your priorities straight. I never asked you to choose. You never have to. I'm a ball player. If anybody knows what that means, it should be you. If basketball is all you care about, why are you boning me? Why don't you bone Dick Vitale? The movie opened on April 21st, 2000, and I'm just going to start a fight right now. I'm just going to pick a fight. I'm going to say every single song on the Love and Basketball soundtrack is better than what was number one on the charts that week. Ooh, I love this. I'm just going to say every song, because the song that was on number one on the charts this week was Santana with Maria Maria. Carlos 
You know what? I never got into Santana when this was, this is about my time, you know, in the grand scheme of, uh, you know, I was old enough. I was, you know, I was in college and I didn't get Santana. I didn't get it. There's a couple bands I don't get. Uh, this is, this resurgence, whatever, I didn't get. I wasn't on, I wasn't on board. I, I, I don't know. Flaming Lips is another band, but I understand why they're great. I, I just, I have not gotten on board with Flaming Lips. Really? Oh, see, I got jumped in because, you know, I went to school in Oklahoma where they live. So, like, my okay. freshman year, they were doing concerts for, like, 60 people. I mean, the, the, oh, wow. I will I will be proud of this until I die, that I happen to live in a small town where they happen to be very loyal. So thank you to that Flaming Lips for giving us one cool thing in Norman, Oklahoma. You know, Amy, this this movie is really, is really, really interesting because I think, in a way— and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that in this little miniseries that we have done, this is really the first film that is more female dominant in the point of view of the story. This is the story of Monica. And and it's, you know, we definitely get Q's story as well, but I found that this definitely has a stronger uh, female protagonist than what we've been seeing. And, and obviously, we've had great... Uh, leading women in films, but I always felt like it was being driven by the man's story. That's fair. I mean, I think When Harry Met Sally is probably the most equal, but that's equal. I mean, this feels very much like it is Monica, even though we do get plenty of time alone with Quincy as well. Like that Gina, the writer and director, who was a high school athlete herself, who always was kind of the jock who got into fights with her mom, who didn't quite understand like her and her interests and her your passions, one of which was like wanting to write soap operas. When she was a kid, she always tell her mom she wanted to grow up and write soap operas. And that was oh, wow. another thing to the list of the jockery that her mom was like, what are you talking about? How are you, my child? But yeah, I feel like this movie has a really just legitimate, honest, earnest sense of what it's like to be a female athlete that feels so lived in that it yeah. just, it pops. Her character pops. Like she, I don't think I've seen a movie that lives so much in a female athletic body like this. Well, it's also a sports film that does something that I haven't really seen before, which is, yes, basketball is a major part of this. But being an athlete is probably more important. And it's really about what it takes to be an athlete, the sacrifices that you make to be an athlete. The basketball is there to illuminate some of that, but it's a movie without uh, truly uh, iconic uh, basketball scenes. Like you would think that there would be some, you know, like some great shots. And I think they do some really cool things. I mean, there's the one thing that sticks out to me is that POV when, um, when Monica's in high school and you're seeing what she's thinking and how she's moving around the court. Um, Ooh, yeah, let's listen to that. Down four, down four. You got this. Don't get tight. She's laying off. She's laying off. Pull up. Yeah. Yeah. Down one. Down one. Come on. Come on. Dia. Dia. Mom. Watch the ball. Watch the ball. Watch the ball. Now. Don't blow this. Cross it. Take it right. Watch left. Watch left. Yeah. Okay. Dia. Mom. Play smart. Up one. Play smart. We got this. We got this. Play smart. Play smart. We got this. Play smart. Put that out there. 
it. Reaching in. No! I've never played sports myself anyway in any sort of competitive way. Have you? Like, is that what the no. mentality is? God, no. I'm Neither a comedian have? and actor. No. I, why would, <laughs> I'm doing this podcast with you. You think I'm playing sports? No way. Come on. Well, it feels real. And I want to say that that is Gina making it feel really real, that you're like just constantly saying like, play deep, play deep, watch the ball, watch the ball, watch the ball. That hyper yeah. alertness that she's narrating in her head. I, I love that. And I loved that it's an unvarnished point of view. And, and you know, not to get too far ahead of it, but this movie opens up and I thought to myself, could there, there could not be a more perfect film for Amy and I to talk about because... Clippers and Lakers come at it from the very beginning. I know you've already tried to dog me about it, uh, you know, and uh, I will say this much. Uh, when I saw that 22 Clippers jersey, I was like, Matt Barnes? That's who he's going after? And it took me a little while <laughs> to figure out that he was wearing his dad's jersey. I was like, who's McCall? Who's McCall? Like, I was... I got so caught up in that opening scene trying to figure out who was who was he wearing, and you know I I, I got really lost in that. Um, I, uh, I didn't have that problem because my girl Monica, of course, loves Magic Johnson, so she's got yes. the thirty-two on the whole time. And I just finished this really terrific book called Showtime about like the Magic Lakers, the Showtime Lakers, oh. which touches on stuff that we actually see in this film, especially through. Uh, Quincy's dad, you know, talking about what it was like to be in the NBA in the early 80s and the madness of it. It is such a good book. I can't recommend it enough. But to the point you were making about basketball, this is a film with, what, maybe five big championship games? Mm -hmm. Like two each for one, them in high see. school. Yeah, two each for them in college. And then one when she's like a, a professional athlete in, in um, Europe. I and mean, that, I love that cut. It's like yeah. you just see like the opening tip and you're and that's it. And yeah. it's like, oh, wow. Bold. Yeah. And they're all important, but it's not like, oh, no, here we go. Like she's dribbling down the lane. What's well, going to happen? Like that whole basketball thing that we're used to seeing in movies. It feels I mean, like it's really from a different perspective. The The most important scene in the film and the longest basketball scene in the film is the final sequence, uh, not the the postscript, but the one-on-one, -on -one. you know, I think the movie is bookended by these two one-on-one -on -one games. Or three, um, if you want to count the middle right. one where they're going to bone. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. And, and there's something really, I, I really want to break that down and, uh, and look at that final scene because there's so much going on there. But I would argue each one of those scenes is not about playing basketball. It is about power it is about love it is about there's so much more going on under the guise like basketball is the cloak under which a more important discussion is kind of happening and i think we should maybe even start with that first scene with these kids as 11 years old you know you're introduced to these kids and uh you think a boy is coming to play basketball with these other boys and reveal it's it's monica as a young girl and she's a girl and already ostracized for for even attempting to play with boys, right? And uh, and I can't imagine... They're doing so much work with the word dog here. Like, she's a dog because she wants to play, then she's dogging him. Like, dog is like yeah. the most flexible word in these little kids' languages. <laughs> but it is interesting, and I think, you know, I, we talk a lot about what we don't see in films, right? We don't see this represented. We don't see that represented. And a lot of the times, I think it comes down to... Uh, 
you know, race and sexuality. But here, and I'm, and I'm going to make a broad generalization. I haven't gone deep on this. You very rarely see a female sports film. A lot of the times when you do, it's about surfing. I feel like I can name like four female surfing films. You know, it's like Blue Crush, uh, that one where uh, the girl was attacked by a shark. Uh, and and then the you know, other one where Blake Lively was attacked by a shark. Yes, uh, yeah, but not, not technically a surfer. So they're but, both, uh, isn't she surfing? No, she's like left out on that island after like scuba diving or something like that. I thought she got there because she was in that. Oh right, you're right. I think she was trying to. Yeah, uh, there's another one. Yeah, well, there's another. Shark okay, so basically, place. women in movies, you surf and then you get bitten, right? <laughs> well, but I think there's. I mean, can you think about it? Like, I mean, we really don't explore women in sports, in film like this. And this is like an unvarnished point of view of how hard it is to be a woman who is good. And, 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 you know, we're coming off of, I don't know if you are familiar with this at all, but last night, uh, Paige uh, Buckner uh, from UConn, freshman, fucking awesome, like is the first freshman in UConn's history to score like 30 points a game for like more than... Like a, a ridiculous amount. She's amazing. She's like, she just won this amazing game last night. And there was a lot of talk about her on social media. She's just so good. And she's a freshman. And I was thinking about that going into this movie. And it's just interesting. Like, you know, there are all these amazing female athletes and they don't get all the, the attention and they could be incredibly good. You know, they have to be doing something amazing to get that attention. Yeah. And this film is exactly about that, you know, about, like the overlooked female athlete, not just in cinema, which you're right, but even going forth, like these are two kids who, when we meet them, they're 11 years old. They love basketball as much as life itself. Both of them. Mm -hmm. They love it with equal amounts. They're equally good. She might even be a little bit better because she beats him in that first fight when they're 11. Yeah. And he can't handle it. And he pushes her and he gets a scar on her face that she keeps for the rest of the movie. And you can tell she kind of thinks is a little bit cool, a little bit cool. The way she smiles at herself in the mirror, like, yeah, I earned this. But yet, as but by the go- way, you know that was because in real life she had a scar on her face. Oh, really? Yeah. So they kind of uh, Mark Hamill, Empire Strikes Back, backed it. Yeah, uh, they kind of reverse engineered it. But what a great thing to have in the film! It underlines that he made an impression on her, right? Like this is something that she can't shake, and that you know, you know, obviously it was coincidental, but it's a really nice runner throughout the whole film. Like she. They are connected. She will always have that thing to remind her of him. Very much. And yet, even though they're going to go forth and both work equally hard in being the best basketball people they can be, you see as they're rising up through high school, through college, that there's a limit. You know, they both work the same amount and he goes to games where it's like sportscasters and cheerleaders and everybody going insane. She's working just as hard and her games are a lot emptier and she's not getting any she's of the attention. In the gym. She's not getting any of the fans. Like, yeah, that there is this ceiling that I think I appreciate that Gina doesn't try to gloss over it and be like, they both get everything they want. Like, there's a ceiling she keeps hitting. Well, I mean, look, this film was written before uh, there was a WNBA, right? Like, so the WNBA uh, comes into this film when they start to make it and it becomes this kind of postscript scene. Uh, in the film. So in a way, this movie was written and conceived before there was even a quote unquote, like happy ending for her. There was a ceiling that she had reached and that was it. It was over. 
Yeah, and, you reach the ceiling, you're in college, and then you go abroad. And and then you can choose to be there and alone and sitting in your apartment and watching, like, you know, dubbed over Full House episodes. And I think... Uh, 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 family oh, Matters. Family sorry, Matters. So family sorry. Matters. I'm going to be important. Did I do that? Thank you for doing that because I was so intrigued by the glimpse of Family Matters that I was like, oh, I want to see if I can actually find Urkel talking in Spanish on a Spanish dubbed Family Matters. And I did. So we're going to listen to that right now. In Spanish, Family Matters is called Cosas de Casa. And this is an episode where Urkel is at the dentist. Por favor, Steve. Controlate. I was not going to let this opportunity to play that clip slide. But no, no, I but love speaking it. about like the NBA, the WNBA and how new it was, the girl, the little actress who was playing um, Sanaa Latham when she's young, Kyla Pratt, she was actually the girl who was helping advertise the WNBA. She was in all these commercials, like talking to people like Cynthia Cooper and being kind of snotty. Have you ever seen her commercials? No. <laughs> Cynthia Cooper, guard, Houston Comets. Yeah, hi, what's Why'd you pull a 4-3 on the break last night? <laughs> Well, I was open. Tina was open on the block. Yeah, but... You know she's money down there. Why'd you take it? I know I wouldn't have. Because I was My open. My mama says because is not an answer. Your mama's right, Should have hit Tina down low. I promise I will next time. Assuming there is a next time. The way I see it, you owe Tina an apology. But yeah, so there's all this synergy. The WNBA, this movie, the characters kind of bleeding back in and forth. You know, like helping there be a happy ending that that didn't exist for Gina when she got really into basketball. But I think this movie is about something bigger than basketball, and we've already said that a little bit, but it's about can you have a career that is like this? You know, that is, I don't, I don't want to belittle any career, but I just feel like there are certain professions where your life takes a backseat sometimes. Yeah, well, I mean, this is a profession where, you know, we get hinted at several times in the movie that if you're a woman who loves basketball and you get pregnant, that's over. Like, that's a right. door that seems like it's going to close to you. Like, uh, Monica gets into USC because the girl who had her spot gets pregnant. Uh, then when she's in, her coach gives her a whole lecture about how she gets pregnant. And then there's kind of that fast forward at the end. We're like, okay, great. She's playing for the LA Sparks and she has a baby, but we don't actually see how she got to work that out. Like, did she did not join the team until after she had a kid? How did all of this work out for her? But it, you're kind of told through all of these clues, like you can't be an athlete and a mother. I don't know how you can pull these two things off. Your job is to run and to take hits and to take charges. I mean, and I will talk about this from an actor's point of view too, because I'm living with an amazing woman who, I'm married to an amazing woman who is a, you know, who wrestles with all of these things as well. You know, like, what can you do? When can you get pregnant? How can you get pregnant? What are you giving up? And, you know, right now we're at a, we're in a moment in our career, uh, June and I, where June has to go off to shoot a movie and I have to shoot my show and she's going to Canada. And because of COVID right now, there's an issue where she can't bring the kids. So uh, I will have the kids here, but for 48 days, 
she's going to have to go without her kids for the first time in her life. That's a long to, time. It's That's a long hard. time. And and I was thinking about this and, and talking about this. You know, we've been talking about this a lot. And, you know, it's hard for me to go 48 days without my wife, right? And and there is maybe still a shot where she may be able to take the kids um, and then I would get without the kids and without my wife. Like there's, so there are these sacrifices that we make. I can't go with her because I'm working here. She can't stay here because she has this opportunity. And have you considered you, cutting the kids in half? We've talked about that. Now, technically, it we don't have the medical licenses to do it, and that's that's <laughs> what it comes down to. So, if anyone out there knows how to do that, but it is, but it is this thing where, you know, we are successful in what we do, we are happy in what we do, but there comes these moments in our lives where we do have to make compromises. I know that you know you you are in a relationship with a director who has to also go and shoot movies and be away. And, and there are, you know, right now we're in COVID, so everything is harder, right? It's not, if this was in normal times, this trip wouldn't be an issue at all. It would be fine, but you can't go through immigration. It's an immigration thing, but we do have to make these sacrifices. So I think this movie really hits in, uh, in a couple spots for me about this struggle of like, it's so much harder to do this sort of stuff when you have two people who are passionate and wanting and taking opportunities because it's from a lot of the times it's your life versus your career. Yeah, exactly. And then I think what's really interesting in the script is that Gina takes that dilemma that they're both in and kind of layers on that they also have to wade through this extra layer of shit, which is their parents' ideas of what their roles should be as men and women in society. You know, that they're also absorbing all these ideas about how relationships are supposed to work from their own parents. You know, Monica, for example, like her mom, who I think is really, really well done by Alfred Woodard, is you know, being told that, like, she's not feminine enough, that she needs to be more girly. She needs to embrace her beauty, which, you know, I think her mom is right in a way. Like, you don't have to give up one to be the other. But her mom is like represents to her everything that she doesn't want to be. I mean, she even has this scene where she talks about like seeing her mom and realizing she can't be that type of woman. That her mom, mother, she says, is almost not really chasing her away from domesticity because she loves basketball on a pure mm -hmm. sense, but representing the type of womanhood she can't imagine having. I remember when I was eight years old. You spent like four hours cooking up this big fancy meal. And I guess you and dad got your wires crossed or something because in he walks with a couple of pizzas. And you didn't say anything. You never stood up for yourself. Ever. If I was ashamed, it was because of that. That is ridiculous. What's ridiculous is not being a caterer. So your husband can feel like a man knowing his woman's home cooking and ironing his drawers. <laughs> Damn it! Oh, Monica, I'm sorry. Is that really all you think about me? When your daddy and I got married, yes, I had dreams. But I happened to have gotten pregnant with Lena. And then I had you. So I had to put my dreams on hold. It's interesting because they, they do a good job of of really showing the complications on a lot of different levels. Like there, there, there are, yes, our main characters are dealing with a very heightened sense of how, you know, can you be in love and can you do your thing that you want? And we're seeing a lot of couples here sacrifice. You know, I, I think that's a big 
a big runner. Sacri- like people have sacrificed and they're either miserable and it has not worked out well at, or they've settled and it has not worked out well. And it, it's, it's, in, it's, in a, it's an uplifting movie, but it's also kind of a dark movie too. Yeah, the way that she accuses her mom of having settled because her mom maybe always wanted to have a catering business and loves to cook, yes. but never did it. And her mom is like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I swear I'm fine. And I mean, I guess I half believe the mom. I at least want to half believe her. Like, I want to believe that the mom has come to a place where she's not regretting her choices. She's not living in what could have been. But yeah, there's but still you. She seems like she really wanted it, though. How much of that is you're just telling yourself that? Um, there is a naivete with youth, right? Like where you think you can have it all. We were just talking about that with um, the Sidney Poitier movie, right? Like, I love him. It's going to be fine. We're going to work it out. And then there is this other aspect of it where it's like, well, I'm older. I've seen it. And here's the truth of it. And I think that, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I like that this movie does speak to that. Like, yes, from the daughter's point of view, she gave up. But from her point of view, maybe she hasn't settled. She's maybe come to terms with it. And maybe dreams aren't always, you know, maybe you can't always have dreams. And and, and I think that that's also, is that a terrible thing to say? That like, you know, not everybody can always go and chase their dreams. I think it's kind of naive to say that you you can. Sometimes you just have to, sometimes you can't and you're not able to for a myriad of reasons. Yeah. I mean, look, we see our main character who is playing, you know, at the end of the film for the Lakers. And, you know, look, it, it speaks much more to the the franchise and the way that they treat their players that he was able to not really recover that well. But the um, oh, but, whoa. Uh, but uh, but I would say um, he did achieve his dream. And then and then it it was up in smoke, you know, so it's sort of like, right. And who's to say if she opened that catering business, it would have been a success or it would have been a thing, you know, that would have actually made her happy. I don't know. You know, it's wild. Like, I was just hearing the other day that in all of NBA history, going all the way back to the beginning of the NBA, you count up everybody who's ever played for the NBA. And it's still only like 5,000 people that only 5,000 people ever have ever played in the NBA. Like the 5,000 best basketball players um, in every town in America and also now beyond the borders of America going back decades. That's not that many people. And then when you look at it even closer, every single team has like those three or four guys that you're like, oh, yeah, they're there. I forgot those guys are on that team. I'm not even aware of them. And and the idea that you can be one of the 5,000 best basketball players in the world and it doesn't mean that much in the NBA itself is really heartbreaking. That's been one of the things that I've loved about my Showtime book is like there's all these people I've never even heard of and they're there and they're like – living out their tiny corner and they are better than every other person they ever played basketball with in their life until they got to this level. And then you're like, well, all right, here I am. I mean, the way the announcer sounds so patronizing when he introduces him onto the court when he's a Laker because he's not that cool, that kind of pat on the head. Oh, it's just so cringy. Stu, this game is in the refrigerator. The door is closed, the lights are out, the eggs are cooling. Butter getting hard and... The jello is jiggling. And here come the subs. And you know, it's nice to see the subs get a chance to play. And the fans love it. They really do. And Quincy McCall is in for Nick Van Axel. Quincy's got the ball over in the corner. Puts up a three-pointer. That's no good. The former Trojan came out after his freshman year. And as they go down the floor the other way, I can tell you that he uh, has moved around quite a bit. But now he's trying to find a home with these Lakers. I know we joke a lot about our 
you know, our teams. But there's an amazing article, uh, I'll post it on social media, about Patrick Beverly, uh, who is a Clipper, was, uh, you know, he moved around the league, he's a Clipper now. And his story is, I, I, I think, I mean, I'm so upset because if Chadwick Boseman was still alive, this is the sports movie for Chadwick Boseman. Because they look, they had a similar build, uh, and... Pat Beverly's story is kind of amazing. It's it's a guy who gets drafted and and then he gets sent to Europe and he gets sent to Russia and he's playing this game and he's good, but he's in Russia, he doesn't understand anybody, alone in Russia, and kind of works his way back to the States. Um and now he's on this team and he and you know and he's done well, but like this journey of this person who's probably better than any, you know, like you said. 98% of the rest of people who've played basketball, right? Um, and you look at how hard this journey was and how hard it was to come up. These are the, these stories and these people who go overseas and come back and, and fight for a slot. Like we, you know, we tend to focus like on... dad even was like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and we tend to focus on the LeBrons and, and, and the John Morants and the Steph Currys and the Kawhis. But there are so many players that make up this team, and there's so many people who, you know, can't get out of G League, and and not to say that that there's a there's a sadness there, but it's it's you know you think about oh well come see my band well the chances that your band is going to like have an album that will come out and do well is is uh, you know it it's hard it's a it's a narrow window and and it's it's such a crazy thing to be like I'm going to go and do this profession where there is such a small window for me because even if you look at actors and comedians. There's more than 5,000 that have played, you know, that have been in films, you know, there may not be, a, you know, that much more, but there's a bigger, there's a, it's a, a smaller needle to thread in professional sports. And, and I think the tenacity and, and just staying up and not giving up is, I mean, unbelievable. And I think that's what this movie really shows too, is like how hard it is to believe in yourself and work when everything is against you. Like literally the system, like here, the system is against female athletes. Yeah, exactly. And also your kind of standards and your hype for yourself, at least in in Omar Epps's character, that he yeah. wants to think when he's a freshman in, in college and being the star and being, you know, talked about like this by Dick Vitale. And I'm like a kid in a candy store. Are you kidding me? I get so excited about it. And there are too many great teams to choose from. I mean, we're talking about the Dukes, the Kentuckys, Arkansas. But my surprise treat this season is the probable emergence of USC as a basketball powerhouse. On the men's side, the heavily recruited freshman phenom, Quincy McCall. One of my real diaper dandies, a genuine P.T. Peer, a primetime player, baby. And for the women, on that boasting one of the top recruiting classes, they are returning four starters from last year's squad, which made it to the Sweet 16. He wants to think that he is going to come out and be, I guess he's not the next Kobe right now because he's too young. Um, Well, Kobe was in this movie. What? Really? Yeah, you see a quick glimpse of him. By the way, I don't know. I probably already told this story, but I did. I was in a movie where the only movie that Kobe Bryant agreed to be in, he said every other time he's been in a film, they used his image and he never approved it. And I think that's probably part of the fact that he is a part of the NBA. The NBA can sell your image any any way you want. So there's a there's a moment where uh, Omar is introduced onto the court and, and Kobe is there. Wait, like real Kobe, live Kobe is yeah. there? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I mean, you also saw uh, 
who else is there at the end? Uh, oh my gosh, there's another cutaway to. Uh, I'm just forgetting who it is. Well, there's now. a cutaway to Magic Johnson, but Magic I can't Johnson, tell, yeah. yeah, if he's like real or or if it's like I'm sure they just grabbed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They grabbed this shot of him, but yeah, they said uh, he's on the sideline when Quincy's with the Lakers, uh, and he shoots and misses a three pointer. That's where you can see Kobe. Oh well, yeah. Well, in that book that you uh, were just finishing about Kobe about Three Ring Circus, it's funny to go back and like hear about how bad his first couple years were. Anyways, yeah. as a Laker, he would come out and miss shots. He was not Kobe yet for a while. Even yeah. though he thought he was Kobe and acted like he was Kobe for well, the beginning. Well, Kobe broke his arm, uh, you know, when he was, uh, when I think he, f- when he first got into the league, right? He was playing like street mm-hmm. ball. That became this reason why the NBA put all these clauses in your contract. Like, you can't do that because we, we own you. Like, we, we, you know, you can't, you can get hurt. Like, let it get hurt on our dime. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, this whole idea of like what it takes. And I think that we often focus on the, the, the point five percent that are the huge stars and it, and there's so many people below that yeah no exactly exactly and i think this movie makes all of that just feel really credible we keep saying we're going to go back to the beginning let's go back to the beginning yes. let's talk about them as kids about these two kids who are obsessed with basketball um they seem to like each other right away they have these childhood bedrooms where their windows are directly facing each other So Doogie Howser. I loved it. Oh, my God. That kind of stuff gives me the hives. Like, if I lived in a house where my window was facing onto a boy that I thought was cute, I would have, like, iron curtains in front of my windows. Like, that boy is not seeing anything I do when I am asleep. Like, hell no. Uh, I would be so embarrassed. But, yeah, the the trust that they have with each other to keep their curtains open and be able to spy on each other. I like how you can see from the beginning that they do like each other, even though they're acting kind of tough, even though they're not acting very soft with each other. You know, he's watching her through the window as she's getting her hair done by her sister. She's realizing he's going to take her to school. So she wants her sister to do a really good job on her hair. Then in the morning, he walks her to school. He asks if she'll be his girlfriend. They have their first kiss. They negotiate it where she's like, okay, I'll kiss you. How long? Right. Like, I love Five that. seconds. And he counts the seconds on his hand, which Gina said is actually something that happened to her. That was her first kiss. And it was the actor's first kiss. They were like secretly dating those two little 11 year olds. Wait, they were dating? Oh, wow. I didn't know that. No, they started to. Isn't that sweet? But then they have this immediate breakup that seems to set the template of their entire relationship. Like they kiss immediately. He's like, well, now that you're my girlfriend, you have to ride on my bike because that's how my dad does. You know, he's is still like adopting these things from his parents. Like women are to be taken care of. You're the man. You're the hero. Blah, 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 blah. And they have this fight right here. Wait, because you're my girl now. You got to ride on my bike. But I want to ride my own bike. My dad always drives my mom. So? So that means I have to ride you. Come on. I don't have to do what you say. Forget you in, stupid. You stupid, and your dad plays for the worst team in the NBA. What? Last time they won, Dr. J was a nurse. Shut up. I mean, do you think this fight is just foreshadowing their entire relationship, every single problem they're ever going to have? Like, absolutely. I mean, this is these are these are two alphas, right? And I think when you have two alphas, you can't help but like, like it's like who's leading? One of them, like no one, neither one of them is going to let down. And maybe that's the spark that they need, but it's also the thing that pushes them apart because I think they both want, you know, the, the, they're all their issues are 
you know, you're not following me. You're not here for me. And they're not here. They're not there for each other multiple times, you know. Uh, yeah. And her and need to prove that she's as good or better or as strong. Or she stronger. is. Right. Can we say yeah. that she is better yeah. than him? She's yeah. better than him. She struggles more than him. Um, and she's better than him without the advantages of him, without having a dad who was a professional NBA player and all of the attention already on her. You know, she has to fight for everything that comes to him naturally. Absolutely. Um, you know, and and I feel like there is there is this idea that they there can't be two of them. Right. There can't be two of them because they suck it up. Like, you know, whatever the other one has is like. I need all of this energy. I need all of this. Like I, everyone needs to orbit around me. They're two planets, you know, and, and how do you, you know, how do you deal with that when, when, uh, when your gravitational pull is so strong? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to go into more of a, uh, more of a, a planetary analysis than that. But I mean, Bring like, they, on. But, name check every planet. Uh, Tell me how Uranus fits in. But, but you know that there is this, this push and pull with them, this, and it's, it's not, I don't think it's like, oh, you, you don't want to commit or you don't want to commit. Like it's, I don't even know how to be with you. I can't be with you. Like I can't, I don't know how to exist in your orbit. They both can't. And I think that that's, and they try and they try so hard and they, and, and look, and Q definitely is the one that has the harder time and, and continually from the moment that he pushes her, from the moment that he pushes her again to the moment that he brings that he starts dating that girl who like what is going on there and Which then girl are you talking about gabrielle because oh can we play her oh please, gabrielle. Yes. Hey, girl. Hey. you know your hair looks really cute like that hey. <laughs> so um you know who's asking to the spring dance nope come on girl you live right next door just tell me who's been creeping there's just so many i just can't be trapped Give it yourself. I'm not trying to look all fast. Is that who you're talking about? Or are you talking about our girl Tyra, who shows up as a flight attendant? Oh, no, no. Tyra, I'm all on board with. I was talking about Gabrielle. But Tyra, like, but it's also interesting because Tyra is this other person who is not bad. She's not like one of those traditional, like, oh, my God, I want Monica to be with, you know, like, Mm-hmm. Like she, she's so bad. It's not like she's so bad for him. It's like what she does so well is like, oh, I feel bad for him that he is not with somebody who's going to challenge. Like there's nothing, there's no there there, right? There's no energy there. It works. It's functional. She travels, he's there, but it's not like there's no energy. There's no electricity there. And and I think, you know, um, I don't know. What do you think about relationships like that? Like, I mean, do you find like I've been in relationships that are more bland and I've been in relationships that are more like heightened. Like, what do you think is a better relationship? Yeah. I mean, they seem like they're in the kind of relationship, him and Tyra, where he will take up all the space and oxygen and she will sort Mm -hmm. of fold around him and make it work. Although she does, she's not that passive. You get that little glimpse of her, um, refusing to let him take his giant cue from his childhood bedroom into their house that they're that they're moving oh, yes. in together. Mm-hmm. She's like we are not going to have this giant monument to you. So I don't think she's a complete pushover. What I like about her mm-hmm. when she shows up is she seems genuinely nice. Like she's That's what really I'm saying. Yeah. Sweet. You know, she's excited to meet Monica. She sounds very calm. I mean, you hear it in her voice like the way her eyes widen and she's just like 
police to meet her. But then the subtle bits, the way she says, like, we're so glad you showed up, the kind of ownership she includes, just kind of a little bit of a dig. Monica, oh, you guys grew up together, right? Well, Quincy's told me all about you. Monica, this is, this is Kara, my fiance. Fiance? Wow. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. I didn't know. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's... By the way, can I just say that it is very annoying that we all know Tyra's name is Tyra, and here she's playing a character with almost the exact same name, K-Y-R-A, except it's got to be pronounced Kira. Like, couldn't she just, uh, if she's going to have a name that's basically my name, you all know who I am, could it at least rhyme? You know what? Tell it to Gina. Tell it to the writer-director. She had some, She had a plan. This is a Maybe it was her friend's name or something. I don't know. Maybe it helped <laughs> her get the part. I mean, Tyra, Kira? Tyra, uh, Kira? Like, I would get it if this was really early in Tyra's career and they're trying to, like, be like, hey, it's Tyra. She's important. But she was already in a George Michael song by now. Everybody knew who she was. And she was smizing throughout this whole movie. I mean, I see those smize. Oh, her, her smize are amazing. But yeah, no, she's not bad. She's not a villain. I feel like we keep coming to this point in the romantic comedies that we've liked. You know, the other person isn't terrible. They're just not right. Yeah. But that's like, isn't that life? Right. Like very rarely do we have like the villain from the wedding singer, you know, after our the person that we love, right? It's like, it's very rare that the, it's a real asshole, right? I mean, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe it's my own experience. It's like, it like, and I think it's harder to parse out. Like, well, how do you defend that? Like what's wrong with Tyra? Well, what's wrong with her is that it's not her. It's not Monica, right? I mean, that's really at the end of the day. I mean, she's hypothesizing that it, she, he won't be happy. Maybe he won't eventually because she knows him probably the best out of anybody. But, uh, it, it you know you you don't villainize her, which I think makes that end sequence actually really more powerful. Yeah, when when Monica shows up to try to break up him and Kira, yeah, two weeks Sorry, before Kira. his wedding, he is legitimately irritated. Like, why would you do that? And he doesn't seem to be entertaining. He's not like, thank God you've shown up to rescue me from marrying this horrible woman. He's like kind of insulted that she would think he's not serious about wanting to marry a girl who's very nice to him and that he clearly does like a lot. Yeah. Love. He probably loves her. He probably loves her, right? You don't propose if you don't yeah. love somebody at least a little bit. I would hope not. I mean, I would hope not. Well, don't you think that, ah, well, who knows? Like, it seemed like he was so rushing to get into the life that maybe he wasn't thinking it through. Like, he, you know, he went through, and, it, you know, Dennis Haysbert tells him, like, you got, like, do school like the MBA is there. The MBA is there. And it's interesting that Kobe, you know, is around at this time, too, because Kobe went right from high school, had his own press conference that I'm going in, you know, and and struggled because of that, because he wasn't ready to play with men. He was a boy playing with men and um, didn't have good basketball IQ, um, but he was in, incredibly talented. And I think but his rush to get to the next level, get to the next level, get to the next thing, get to the next thing. It feels like it's on par with like, yeah, he's not going to make the best decision for his own life. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking because I feel like if Q had waited longer in USC, if he hadn't made this rash decision just to join the draft, mm -hmm. he probably would have a bigger career. You know, like he yeah. would have been able to come out, have a proper like bidding war for him or proper draft. And 
he would have had an actual genuine long-standing career if he had just been more patient. So the fact that he rushes and cripples himself is really heartbreaking. And now well, I'm I mean, thinking about THT, our, our young player that we have on the Lakers who came out incredibly young. I think he was the youngest person. I think he was younger than Kobe, maybe. Really? Uh, he, he was came. younger than 18? Mm-hmm. Maybe, wow. yeah. He was, I mean, he's he's a baby. He's a baby and he's so good. He's so good and I don't want to lose him. Oh, now he's, he's getting amazing. Yeah. No, but he's like, look, I mean, look, I Paul George right now is in the middle of one of his best seasons. It's an MVP season and then has this bone edema. And, you know, it could be anywhere from seven months to like seven games, you know, uh, and this is what you play with all the time. This idea like you may go down. I mean, LeBron James has been to the NBA finals nine out of 10 years. The only year he wasn't there is when he like had a groin injury, like, you know, and and, you know, he's superhuman. But there are these things, you know, Steph Curry broke his hand last year and then the Warriors fell apart without him. Like, you know. There are these moments. Can you recover? Can you get back? And can you, and if you can get back, will you be the same? You know, you're constantly, it, it's, uh, you're in this very weird thing. You know, you look at somebody like Allen Iverson and, the, and, and where, you know, he, what he was and what he did for the league, but where, you know, how quickly that career kind of goes, you know, and, and some people can be there for, you know, LeBron's what, 36. Tom Brady, you know, is... 45? No. 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 42? 42, yeah. So it's like, I, you know, I'm just saying that like, it, there's no fairness in in what happens, you know? No, there isn't at all. There isn't at all. I was just listening to a part of, of my book, Showtime, where Kareem is retiring and he's like 41, 42, you know, and everybody is just like not sad to see him go because he played too long. And yeah. he's not that great and important to the team anymore. And it's really heartbreaking because he's doing this farewell tour and playing his final games in all of these cities. And they feel obligated to give him a send off like Dr. J had a few years before. But everybody's like, good riddance because they never liked him in the first place. And it's just it's it's so depressing, you know, especially kind of growing up in a world where like we get to revere Kareem in a different way as like a thinker, as, you know, a great writer, as a person who's like really really smart in his like political analysis and so to kind of jump back to the time when people just saw him as an athlete who hated to sign autographs and like should have quit earlier is really sad it very depressing part of the book but then also you know you have monica dealing with this other level which is like as a female athlete not only is her ceiling lower from the beginning but what she can even do on the court is narrower right she has that really interesting fight with omar really really early on when they're in high school where she's like listen I I can't control my temper. You keep telling me to control my temper, but I'm not allowed to get angry the way that you are. Like a male player on the court is allowed to get angry. But when I get angry, it makes people uncomfortable because I'm a woman. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the craziest thing is like this, like this crazy double standard with her. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. That's why you ain't getting recruited. Who said I'm not getting recruited? Your hot ass temper. That's who. I'm not- I'm not the one who put this scar here when you're 11 years old because he was about to lose. You know what? Give me your best shot. Give me your best shot. I'm sick of you hanging this. Would you watch the damn road? I'm watching the road. I'm sick of you hanging this over my head now. Come on, give me your best shot. Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. If you don't start that bad attitude, no one's going to recruit you. Please. 
You jump in some guy's face, you, you talk smack, and you get a, a pat on your ass. But because I'm a female, I get told to calm down and act like a lady. I'm a ball player, okay? Again, something that's kind of, you know, just hearing that clip again and thinking about it, like, another thing that we don't really see with women, you know, is like this idea that like they can have these complicated emotions, like I'm, like I'm not like, like a man, but I think we often think like, well, they like, well, the woman wouldn't be like that, but it's like, that would be much more of a thing. Like you would think in a, in another movie, that would be like Q's thing to overcome, like his, his anger, you know, but I love that they show her so vulnerable when she cries, when she knows that she messed that up and, you know, and, and she reached in and it's like, and you watch her struggle so hard with that. Yeah. And I love how she is such a good player who keeps screwing up. Like most of what we see of her on the court is her screwing up. You know, that it's not just like you're the untouchable goddess and everything you do is wonderful. Like you can be the top of your game and still make tons of mistakes left and right. And I think that's why this film just feels so credible. I mean, the list of actual basketball players who worship this film is huge. You know, like here's Candace Parker of The Sparks just talking about it, how much this film means to her. The WNBA started in 97. This movie came out when I was 14. Mm. It was just right when I fell in love with basketball. And it was so much so that you know, in high school, everybody knew what my favorite basketball movie was. Everybody knew what my favorite movie was. You could not tell me I wasn't Monica Wright. And that, in fact, I got the Monica Wright. <laughs> I got the Monica Wright loving basketball Crenshaw jersey. Oh my god! Every every line to the movie. So this gives me so much joy to be able to tell you how influential this movie was for a person that is growing up playing basketball, aspiring to to play professionally. So, and Kyla, I mean, she did an amazing job representing all of us out there. That's moms wanted us to wear dresses, <laughs> come back with the dresses all messed up. And you know, I, I had a best friend growing up that was a boy. We be in the driveway playing basketball all the time and competing. And so it was just the entire movie. I mean, I literally got drafted out to LA and I had a daughter the next year. It was just like, I mean, am I Monica right? I mean, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> It might be. And she herself was like a person who had a lot of firsts. You know, she was the first person to play on an all-boys kick, uh, kickball team when she was oh, a wow. kid. And so this was really important to her. You, you actually get to see even Gina a little bit. She's in, you know, that slow motion shot when Sana is fighting for the ball in slow motion. Yeah. She's kind of like dragging. Gina is the person fighting her for the ball. And, and Gina just still has so much of that innate athletic competitiveness in her that even though she was supposed to let Sanaa have the ball, like it took her 13 takes to let Sanaa have the ball. Wow. She kept just trying to fight it and win it. Right. Like, how do you break that? How do you break that? Yeah. That, yeah. that instinct. Yeah. And so she had to throw her actress on the floor 13 times just to try to like get the shot you know, to make it look convincing, but also not so convincing that she won. Um, but she had this real, you know, toughness, like. She had been recruited to other schools to play basketball at a high school. Um, and she said no, because she wanted to go to film school at UCLA and they didn't let her have a spot on the basketball team. But UCLA also didn't let her have a spot in the film school. And Gina was like, well, that's just not going to do. So her counselor was like, let it go, let it go. But she wouldn't. She like wrote a huge letter to the board and tried to like appeal the decision to like insist that they let her into the film school. Wow. And it worked. And that has kind of been, I think she might say that athletics gave her this tenacity that really led to her film career. You know, right out of right out of UCLA, she did an interview at a different world 
um, where she really wanted to work, but she screwed up the interview because she didn't know how an interview worked. You know, she just kind of, so she said she was really like monosyllabic. She didn't know she was supposed to show up with like ideas of plots. And so she didn't get the job and then immediately kicked herself. And so she called the producer every other day for a month, every other day for a month. And was like, I'm so sorry. Can I please have the job again? Can I please give another shot? And they finally did it. I mean, that is borderline crazy stalker. Like she says now, like I would never do that, that I would not recommend anybody do that. But it worked like her drive that seems to be like garnered on the athletic film, I think really helped her get past the barriers of like trying to make it in this business. Look, there's always going to be and I know earlier I was talking about like this idea of like, what's the glass ceiling? You know, June wrote this book uh, called Represent uh, a Woman's Guide to Running for Office and Changing the World. And, you know, one of the things that she said, and it always sticks out to me, and the book is full of great tidbits about this, but it's all about women who run for office. And a man has to be told to run for office one time. He's like, okay, I'll do it. And a woman on average, three to four times, because a woman is looking at all the other things that they have to do, their responsibilities and, and, and trying to balance like how that would affect everything in their lives. And I think there is, um, you know, we, at the end of the day, there is this, this constant battle of, how do you have it? How can you have it all? And, you know, and I think the world is like, you can't. So don't even ask for it. Like, just like, accept that you can't and make your choice. And then I think, you know, you have to make these sacrifices. I think women have to make more because I think that, you know, here's a big, bold statement, but a a man may be able to finagle getting out of something a little bit easier than a woman would. And like, you know, cause a woman would be like, Oh, well, yeah, it's her kids or uh, period or whatever, you know, whatever the, like, you know, thing is, and again, that's a gross generalization, but I'll just say, like, I feel like there is more forgiveness in this world for a man to make those mistakes. And when a woman does it, it's viewed in such a different uh, point of view. I think that's true. And I can say for myself, knowing that it's true makes it harder for me to want to put myself in those positions, you know, which is also not cool. Like when maybe women also don't step up as much as we could to try to have it all because we're told if you try, like everybody's just going to hate you anyways. And there's no point. Do you know? Right. Like, there, yeah, there's, of course. You, you hear all the horror stories. I mean, this year hearing about what it's like for like mothers to try to deal with the pandemic and, you know, childcare has, I, I hope that this really starts a big wake up call about like all of the things women are asked to pick up in this world. Cause you know, I, I think I don't want to generalize either, but I, at least for myself, I find myself being the person who like picks up the little things that other people drop. And then you just find yourself playing pickup all the time, you know, and not ever getting to move forward on bigger objects that you want to do. Well, yeah, you know, and, and it's so interesting because very rarely do you get to see it in a very black and white way. And this movie, the backdrop of this movie does a great job of showing you black and white differences. Like you mentioned earlier, here they are in a stadium with lights, Dick Vitale, here we are in a gym, no lights, 25 people. Like, you know, here we are in, you know, you know, she is one of the biggest athletes, uh, endorsement deals, walking down the street, can literally walk in the front door of the stadium, you know, and, and then you look at like what's going on at the Staples or Forum, wherever they were at that point. And, uh, you know, and it's, it is interesting. You can you can see the difference. And I think a lot of times people won't want to admit that. Well, there isn't. There you just think that. It isn't. But not with me. And that and and when you see something so binary, it's so uh it's 
It's kind of shocking. It is. It's just kind of shocking. Yeah. And I think that credibility is really just what makes this film work for me. Like, it seemed, I mean, it was really important to Gina that, you know, the character who plays Monica feel like an athlete, you know, that she yes. have somebody who was a convincing basketball player. I mean, so much that her first goal for this was to actually just have a basketball player in that part. Because kind of how this movie came together was, you know, she was a TV writer. She was making, you know, good money as a TV writer. And her husband was like, come on, you really want to get into directing. You really want to do this. Take a year off um, being a TV writer. I think she was working on Felicity at the time Mm -hmm. and like write your script. And so she wrote it. It took her a long time, I think 55 drafts to get it where it needs to be. She pitched it. Everybody turned her down. She was just like, nobody really was, they were not able to say that they could identify with it. So nobody really wanted to make this movie. And then Sundance Labs, you know, says, come with us, you know, like, let's work on the film at our, at our labs, like help flesh it out. And that's where Spike Lee gets involved. And so Spike Lee says, like, this is great. I want to help you. Like, I really want to try to raise up new directors. And can I just and say Spike, one thing, too? Like, yeah. one of the things that they had a trouble with when they were looking at the script was like, well, where, like, where's the basketball? Like, where, like, no one's, no one wants to see this minutia. Like, this is not what we're here for. Like, it, can you get rid of some of that and get more of this? You know, and I think that, like, you probably see that title, Love and Basketball. Like, all right, this is going to be, uh, you know, this kind of a movie. Uh, so I think it's interesting, like even th- like people couldn't even look at this movie without like being like, well, it doesn't work because there's no basketball in it. I mean, it's crazy. It's like, but the story is so there. And it's wild because I think there's so much basketball. It's just not in that template of like we're muscling towards the big game. Like it's just not mm-hmm. structured around the big game, right. which I think makes it feel so much fresher. But yeah, so um, Spike Lee comes involved like when they're at Sundance and that's this thing like he had just done the movie He Got Game, which had, you know, starred a real athlete, which just starred Ray Allen. And he was like, you have to do this with a real athlete. You have to do it. You have to do it. And so they and like, I would argue around. I would argue that that's probably one of the reasons why He Got Game is not as good as it could have been, in my opinion. Maybe that's a bold statement for me to say. I love Denzel Washington in it, but it's like that's a hard move. That's a hard movie to do. I think it's a, it, it's a reason why people are talking about white men can't jump. And this movie, years later, and he got game not so much. Just because it, 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 you're asking a lot for somebody who was very good at one thing to do very, be very good at something else. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really, really hard. I mean, here, you know, we actually have a clip of Gina talking about it, about like the long process that it took her to cast it Because it sounds like it was torture for both of them, honestly, to find somebody that they really thought could play this part. Because before this, Sanaa was not an athlete. She said she'd never picked up a basketball in her life. Couldn't dribble. Couldn't dribble. It wasn't even that, yeah, I don't play basketball. Sanaa had never picked up a basketball in her life. And I said, I I would never do that to to female athletes. I couldn't set us back, you know, uh, years by having someone whack up there. Um, So Sanaa started with having a brother trainer. and then she rightfully said, look, if, if I'm going to keep going through this process, then you need to hire me a trainer. And, you know, she was right to advocate for herself. So we hired a woman who was an assistant coach of the Sparks. So this is the thing that's crazy. Everybody was like, just, you know, this, it doesn't look like you're going to get this job. Just drop out. But I had this one woman who was kind of a mentor to me. And she was like, you're learning a new skill. You're learning basketball. Is it fun? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, well, just do it for the fun. Stop worrying about getting the job. And so that's actually, that one piece of advice is what kept me going. Thank God. But finally, her dad called me after three months and said, you know, what you're doing is abusive and you need to make a decision. 
And he was right. And I, uh, I had two tapes. I had Sanaa's tape and I had a ball player tape uh, who, who had, was with an acting coach at the same time. They were on these parallel tracks. And, you know, I sat down, I, I'll keep bringing up his name, but it's true. Reggie, my husband said, you know, what, what is this? Is this a love story or is it a basketball film? And, you know, when I really thought about it, it was a love story set in the world of basketball. And I knew that, you know, you could fake a, a jump shot. You can't fake a close up. And, and so I said, I got to go with Sanaa. You know who they were really thinking about uh, before they decided for sure it was Sanaa? They kind of refer to this idea of like there was an athlete that they've been giving acting classes to. Right. They were thinking of an athlete called Naisha Butler. She was like a basketball player and a model. She's an incredible basketball player. She had just set the record for career points in all of the New York City high school system, like men and women career points. She had like beaten everybody. She was amazing. Um, and so she was thinking about being the person in this movie. It was going to be tough no matter what, because I think if she had agreed to do this movie, she would have had to give up her NCAA eligibility. And so all of it just seems like it was kind of a mess. I mean, she's now um, a sideline reporter for the Hawks, right. which is cool. But yeah, it would have been a slightly different movie, but at least everybody populated around Sanaa, all of the women on her teams, those are real athletes and they move like real athletes and they act like real athletes. I mean, her basketball teammates feel very real. They look like athletes. Like they're not trying to wear a lot of makeup on the court and stuff like that, right? They, like, and I think that there's something really empowering about that. Like they are playing real basketball. And when you see them in the locker room, it's it's not super glamorized. And I think it's the same way you see it with Q too. It's like, but you know, it's like they're not trying to gussy it up in any way, you know? And, and you know, and, and I'm glad that, you know, people started to see like how this movie could be received because- you know, Nike even comes out of the woodwork here and says, well, we're going to give you stuff like we're going to like this is good for us. Like, and, you know, Nike sponsors the movie so they don't have to. They can actually wear. I was like, wow, they're wearing a lot of Nike here. I know that that's like that's hard to do. I know that that's hard to do. And and it was awesome that they they were like, yeah, we want we see this. You know, Nike seems to be always like one step ahead besides the sweatshops of like socially conscious things. And they know how to like kind of uh, get in front of it and, and how smart they were to get in front of this movie like that. Yeah, because it even the way that, that Monica dresses, right? Like, in, especially in, I think, the college scenes, she just looks like an athlete, right? The way that she's like in kind of baggy sweats and mm -hmm. sandals with socks and sweatshirts. I feel like they allow her to look like a real athlete in the real athletic gear without having to make her look made up by Hollywood standards. I mean, yeah. that is my number one thing. Like, I'm always screaming at it. Like, the other day, we were watching some horror movie, and the little child had a curled ponytail. And I was just like, fuck this curled ponytail. Like, that curled that girl does not have a curled ponytail every day. Her mom's in a mental asylum. Nobody's curling her ponytail. Like, hair really throws me out of a movie. Oh, yeah. And the hair, yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Maybe someday she and I will just go on a hair rant. Uh, and hair is a focal point of this film. I mean, like, how is Monica going to do her hair? Does Regina Hall appreciate the way that her hair is? But she never feels phony about it. It always feels incredibly realistic. I also think what's really interesting about this movie, um, you know, I kind of seeing it in two different ways, this idea of like, uh, and I, I am quoting here, but like this idea of black love. Like, and I think that oftentimes in cinema, you're not seeing this kind of love story. And this is coming at a time where more black romance films are happening. But this is actually really interesting because uh, very much like when we talked about um, Ganjin Hess, 
you're seeing like these are well-to-do people. We talked about their houses. We talked about like, you know, they're not, they're not coming, you know, it's not poverty porn. It's like, that's not part of the story. Like these are well-to-do people. And I think it's an empowering movie on that level too, you know, and I think that that can't be ignored. Everything I was reading was, you know, these simple things that we see every week in, you know, as at least that I see every week as a white man. I'm like, oh yeah, well, of course, of course, of course. And this is something that is a little bit different. And I think it, it's interesting to call attention to. And I, and I think, you know, you see this this um, sex scene between the two of them and there's something so beautiful. It, it makes me un, it makes me uncomfortable because sometimes when sex scenes are too real, like I'm like, oh, I don't, I'm, I feel too voyeuristic. I don't want to watch it. But there's something so sweet there and something so pure and not um, overly sexualized, which I think is actually kind of interesting too. Oh, all right. I'm so glad you brought up the love scene. Let, you know what? Let's play a little bit of that music just to get into the mood because we should really talk about it. I mean, that Maxwell jam, that is, that is romance. Like, I love this scene. Like, okay, to kind of build us back into it, you know, they've been to this dance together with different dates. Her date is much taller than him and very handsome, which is, I think, kind of fun. By the way, uh, one of the deleted scenes from the movie is actually, you know, she refers to her date with him and how she just wanted to talk about basketball and how he was not interested. That actually did get filmed if you want to hear a little bit of her date. Okay, here it is. And um, junior year, my, my free throw percentage was 71% because I was shooting it like a jump shot. Um, but then um, this year, I've been shooting 89% from the line by, by keeping my feet set and really following through. That's, that's, that's like an improvement of, of 17%. I mean... And then... You know, at the dance, they've had that like unreal eye contact to I want to be your man. I mean, that eye contact over their shoulders as they're dancing is like so romantic. And it builds from there to like her finding out that she did get into USC and sharing that moment with him. And I rewound this about a zillion times because they have that awkward kiss, right? Where it's like hug kiss. And I was like, who kiss who? Like what just happened? She kisses him, I think. Like, he's going in for a cheek kiss. And she's like, hold on, no. And she makes it a kiss kiss. I I have not seen that really in movies where it's the girl who makes it the awkward kiss. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's it's her story, you know? Yeah. I just had to rewind it like six times to make sure I wasn't making it up. And during their kiss, like, the way she opens her eyes just slightly. Like, whoa, this is actually happening? Like... When we talk about sex scenes directed from a female point of view, like that's yeah. the kind of thing that really jumps at me more than anything. You know, like Gina's ability to get inside her head and like react to what's happening to her and her excitement. It's what I really genuinely like about the very first um the very first Fifty Shades of Grey is like you can tell that there is a woman directing the Dakota fa- the Dakota Fanning, the Dakota Johnson sex scenes who's aware of what it would be like to be in her body. And right. I don't know why it's so hard to get that across in film, but that even that eye widening here feels just real. 
Anyways. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I think that we're also taught this lie about what, like, losing your virginity is. Like, you know, and I think when you have movies like Fast Times or a movie like this, um, it's not like, you know, I think what, uh, what... you know, Amy Heckerling said, it's not like, oh boy, everything is great. It's like, it's painful. It's this, it's different. It's, it, there's something really special or I don't know. It's, we commodify it or we just, we make it into something else. And I think when you see these real scenes, it is more like what sex is like or what this would be like. And I love that they take a moment to even look like to do the condom and everything like that. Like, you know, it's like things that you don't often see the messier parts of it. I think it sets a good example for, for kids and, and, you know, from, you know, to see these positive role models and of, of how things really are, you know, cause sometimes you can really live in a world where you're, I don't know, you're just, you're living in a movie world, which is different than real world. Yeah. Like, I mean, him putting on the condom, like you're saying, making it a visible thing, him asking if she, if he, should stop, you know, and then her being yeah. like, no, do not stop. You know, yeah. these little beats that are built into it make it so real and they make it so romantic. And you bringing up Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I think, is a perfect comparison because this scene was treated to by the censors basically the same way that that love scene was in Fast Times, where the censors were like, this is too real. And they rated it an R. Like, you don't see any nudity there at all. No nudity in that scene. I think the only nudity you have in the entire film is like, Two seconds of Omar Epps's naked butt, like later on when they're in college, which is the kind of thing that Mel Gibson was doing for breakfast in a film and nobody cared. Huh. That That's all the nudity that you have in here. And yet the MPAA was like, that is way too real. And we're going to rate this film an R unless you trim like one extra shot. I and so she finally went back. She's like, I made this film for young women and you're not going to let me show it. It's the exact same conversation we had with, with Amy Heckerling. And so, yeah, she had to dial it back. It's so crazy that that is how we treat credible female sex scenes again. Um, You're, you're mean, yeah, exactly. You are 100% right. I mean, there's nothing more to say about that than, yeah. Uh, You know, it happens time and time again. I mean, do you think now we're going to understand? Like, are we? No. No? I think, I, I think, you know, when people are... I mean, the MPAA is such a, you know, there's a great documentary on them, like, you know, about what goes on in that world and what's, you know, appropriate, what's not appropriate. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's something that does need to be reevaluated and rethought, especially with what we're seeing on TV. But I do think that sometimes when something, look, I know how I reacted to that sex scene, which is like, ooh, I'm uncomfortable. So I imagine, like, but I'm not uncomfortable because it's like, it just felt private. I think actually that's a the that is a compliment to the directing of it. It it felt so intimate, and I'm not used to seeing that. And so my reaction is, it's too intimate for me. But not that it's too graphic for me. But I think that that's what I think that like sometimes intimacy is viewed as being more graphic than just I'm fucking slamming you over the bed and we're gonna fuck. Like you know what I'm saying? Like I think you can get away with that. You know, throwing everything, flying on the couch, legs up in the air, uh, because we're that's what we're accustomed to. That's what we've bought into. That's the myth, and uh, and not sometimes the reality too. But I'm saying, but but that is like the fantasy of it. And when we see something that's actually like a real moment, it's like, oh, okay, well, hold on, that that must be too sexual then. I think you're. I think you phrase that really well. That the intimacy of it is is really shocking, and uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, maybe we'll just let Gina explain, like, how this all played out for her. 
I think with the you know love scene, there was it was kind of that same thing. I, I wanted to put an audience in the head of what it is to your first time, um, and I I set the camera, but I, I really have to give all props to Sanan Omar because so much, it just, it's funny, that scene got in our, got us in our rating from the MPAA, um, and they said because it it felt too real, um, which is an amazing compliment, but it also pissed me off because there's no nudity, there's, it was just focused hmm. on their faces, but that's what I wanted to do is, is put an audience in the head of both the girl and, and the guy, and um, just the way that they were looking at each other and the moments that they played that just felt real of, you know, a girl taking her dress off for the first time in front of this boy that she loves and the nervousness of that and, you know, just, just playing all that. And again, that was Sanan Omar bringing so much just dopeness to to that scene. And, and then I'll give a little prop to Maxwell, who just sang the hell out of that Kate Bush song, uh, Woman's Work, and, and uh, it's so tied to that scene now. Okay, so now I want to ask you, Paul, do you think that they are a good couple? Like, really, do you think at the very end that they are a good couple? Because yes. I like how much she fights for him. Either like mm-hmm. her showing up and her doing like the, you know, I'll play you for your heart line, which mm-hmm. seems like a really hard line to deliver without it sounding corny. I think the fact that Sanaa delivers it at least with, with some credibility is like amazing. I love her proactiveness in it. And yet part of me thinks like, I don't know if Quincy's grown up yet. Like, I think Quincy might still fuck up. I don't, I don't think he's ready. I don't, I don't know if he'll ever be ready. Well, just the fact that he is there means that he is making a step, right? Like you don't change overnight. Like, you know, like this is again, a movie that is, based on something that is actually real. Uh, you know, this idea that, like, change comes slowly. Uh, and the fact that he actually, the last shot of this movie is him doing something that we've never seen him do. Support her. Be there for her. Change the role. Uh, and whether or not, we don't know if his career is over. We don't know. It could still be going on. He could, you know. Um, but he's there for her. And he wants to be there for her. And I think that sometimes growing up means you're less selfish and you can have it all, but it doesn't have to always be easy, right? Like I think that going back to what I was saying about June and I and, 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 and the, the trip, it's very hard for us to make things work, but because we work so hard, it's more fulfilling for us at the end of the day, right? It's not like anything that's, you know, worth it is hard to come by. And I think that like, yeah, it would be so much easier to be like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But like, you have to communicate, you have to talk. And, and maybe that's what she's doing. Like, you know, she's talking to him on his level, like that final scene we talked about, like kind of alluding to that final scene, like what's happening there wordlessly is this power struggle and this shift and this, and there is this battle between them. Who's going to break? And it's not like you or me, it's, I'll be there for you, you be there for me. And we, we're, we're equal. And I think, I don't know, that very long way of saying, but I think that that's what this movie is trying to say, is like, you can be a good couple if you are equal, but you can't be when one is not going to want to be equal with the other one. Well, no, you're right. right. It, it may no, go away, right. but I don't no, know. No, you're right. <laughs> no, but you're right. Like him being there at the game, you're right. That is important. And there's even that kind of psych out where you see the baby, but not him because he's 
covering his face and you don't yeah. know that that's him right at the beginning. She's like, look at the baby. Well, we'll tell you who that baby is in a minute. And then it turns out to be him like holding her baby. I mean, her original ending in the script before this, before the WNBA came into existence, was just going to end on the line, double or nothing. We are kind of like yeah. dangling there like, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to them? And even before that, like in one of her really early drafts of the script, um, Gina had it to where like it's Monica who's getting married. And then Quincy shows up at the wedding to break up her wedding. Uh, oh, wow. I guess I guess the graduate ending. And when she took that ending of the script to Sundance, her advisors were like, you are making such a progressive film. Like, why are you going to fall back on this old traditional trope at the end of such a progressive film and have like him win her back? You know, right. why don't you like follow through with where you really wanted this movie to go? Yeah. And, uh, and I love that. And, and I think it ends on this, this note where you see a moment for her. This character has struggled so hard. And at the end, it's this, she got, what she wanted. She's gotten to play under the lights, be respected for who she is, be in love, have a family. And by the way, well, I guess maybe I'm going to go back on what I said and say, look, they had this baby. She had a baby. They, this baby's not like right out of the, the womb there. And he's stuck around mm-hmm. and he's been there, you know, so this is going in the right direction, you know, and, and it's, I think at the end of the day, if you're a woman in any field, that's a triumphant ending. Like you don't have to just be in basketball. You can just be like, there is a way to do it, but you have to find the right person to do it with. You know, Paul, we fight a lot about our teams, about the Lakers versus yeah. the Clippers. I think that this film makes me want to find a new piece with you. What if we both really go all in on the Sparks? Uh, Look, I'm all in. Like I told you, uh, let's let's follow the sparks together. We can tweet about it. I am all there, and I like I, I want to tell everyone. If you don't know about Paige Buckner, check out what she's doing too. You know, and uh, and and I think it's yeah. Why not? Let's let's uh, let's get some let's get some sparks talk going on. It was a all big right. day actually for the sparks. Was it really okay? Well, yeah. I'm gonna learn all about it. I'm gonna learn all about it. I, I keep forget. I keep wanting to get into the Sparks and putting it aside. I watched a lot of their games this summer when they were at the championship, which, like like our playoffs, was also in Florida, but in tiny gyms and nobody was there. And it was yeah. a reminder that women's basketball is still not quite getting the respect. But you know what? That's because it needs more fans, and I'm gonna do it. I'm in. But by the way, it also uh, was a part. It's part of NBA 2K this season. Which is really cool. It's a great basketball game, uh, and that's a, that you know a step, a step, not the only step, but a step. We're getting there, man. One dribble there. at a time. Um, obviously, this movie, you know, is a, is a small film that you know premieres at sun. First of all, it comes out. Uh, they do a test screening. People go bonkers for it. They bring it to Sundance. It plays. Gina feels like, uh oh, they didn't get it. They're not like cheering at the end, and then it gets like a five minute standing ovation. This movie comes out. It's plastered all over every NBA show. You know, uh, Omar Epps is at like the NBA store. You know, it it, it gets it gets uh, recognized. It, it it does well. It does, like makes like thirty million dollars, and for a romance film, and and this it, that's about right. And then, like you said, it grows and grows and grows. Uh, this movie is progressive. This movie was something that is uh, you know. Uh, you know, pretty much something that you know is not a commercial film. It kind of comes this way. How did were the people that didn't get it didn't react to it this way? There were a couple, and and before I read this review, I wanted to say, you know, another film that had a similar path that year, 
um, that premiered at Sundance and then came out later on in the year 2000 was Karin Kusama's Girl Fight. So they were kind of on this oh, parallel wow. track. And they both launched, you know, two, I think, really important directors' careers. I love Karin Kusama's films as well. And so yeah. I like that they both got their start this year with, you know, they're kind of parallel films about like female athletes played by actresses who also had their breakout role in it. You know, this movie helps Sanaa Lathan really start building her career from being like a guest star on stuff. This movie, you know, a uh, girl fight launches Michelle Rodriguez, who is now like mm-hmm. in the one of the most big, one of the most biggest. How's my grammar doing? I like most <laughs> biggest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, but yeah, still, when the movie came out, there were its detractors. So this is from the New Times. This is their negative review of Love and Basketball. Love and Basketball is divided into four quarters. Thank God there's no overtime. You want to root for it as you would for any rookie underdog, but it offers nothing to cheer for. It's a basketball film that chokes at crunch time, that bitches out when it should be taking charge. Wow. In the end, it's nothing but a montage of self-help aphorisms and feel-good love scenes set to Kate Bush songs as performed by Maxwell. All you're left with is a fairy tale set in the suburbs, a coming-of-age romance that feels as though it's shot in real time. The principles grow up. You only grow old, tired, bored. Such narrative troubles are bound to arise when a first-timer tries to condense a lifetime of Oprah-worthy issues into a two-hour film. Anything meaningful is rendered as a cliché until all emotion is watered down as trite sentiment. Do-do-do. I mean, it just sounds wow. like wow, somebody wow. uncomfortable yeah. with melodrama, emotion, any sort of... I don't... This isn't even melodrama. Somebody uncomfortable with sentiment, to be honest. I mean, that, yeah, that's a really... Huh, huh, that's a tricky thing, right? It's like... Look, I think a movie like this is hard to parse if you if you don't get it or if you don't want to look at it in a certain way. Because I think there are certain things here that if you expect one thing, you'll be like, oh, this feels like this. And I, I will say that as I watch this movie, I like like a good share. It kind of just enveloped me more and more and more. And I think I had to let go of some of my preconceived notions about what I thought it was going to be about or what I wanted to see. And it became this other thing. And by the end, I was just like, you know, just con- completely connected in. And I think, you know, we talk about all these movies. If you don't, if they don't get you, they don't get you. Sometimes that's what happens. Well, I would, I would slam dunk that review into a little yeah. basketball and then kick it into a corner. What I, what I say to you is, would you put this up and shoot this into space? That I don't know. That I don't know. I think there's a lot of things I respect about it so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, really what pops into my mind is how much I just love watching Sonala Lathan play a female athlete who moves and sits and sprawls and shuffles and does all of those things. Like, it's the kind of, I think, physical performance I haven't seen. Honestly, it reminded me a little bit of like Linda Hamilton in Terminator, just a little bit. I mean, just like the impressive mm. arms. But the idea of a new type of female hero really appeals to me and I think their romance is lovely in the way that it builds and is incredibly realistic in the way that it ends I mean the idea that in college you could have these like complicated long-standing romances that disappear like in a week because of misunderstandings and miscommunications it felt really real like there's so much in here I love I don't know if it's a space movie but I think it was very worthy to be part of this miniseries I I feel the same way actually um I'm happy that I've seen it. And I think that I would put it on the side to say, um, I would put it on the side to say it's worthy of like looking at because it also covers something that we have yet to cover on this show, which is female athletes. And and while that is 
you know, it's the most realistic version of a sports story that we have seen. And in that way, I'm taking it out of the romance category and putting it in that version. If we are going to represent sports, I want to maybe have this conversation about this movie over there. Like, so for couples, this may not be the movie that I pick, but for sports, it might be the one. That's fair. That's fair. I really love all of her scenes with her coach in Mm, in USC. She's great. Yeah. And how her coach rides her and how it's not just based on like big motivational speeches. Like we don't even have that scene. Like you're going to go out and win this for our friend who has a a ingrown toenail Uh or whatever. Like the, the drive and the need to, for excellence that her coach instills, I think is just harsh and wonderful. It makes me wish I'd played a sport, honestly. Like, I feel like I'd be a better person if I had played a competitive sport. I feel like I'd be a better loser at losing things and a better uh, worker at getting over the times that I lose. Shrugging off times when I fuck up the way that her character has to do. You Like, her big lesson is you screw up, everybody notices, and you do what you can to get the next thing right. Like, I think that is um, a quality of athletics that I wish I had learned as a kid. So for that, I agree with you. Sports movie, I think it's a very good sports movie. All right. Well, now uh, I enjoyed this conversation a lot. I hope people check out this movie if they have not already seen it. And now we are going into, is it the last of our picks before the audience pick of our couple goals series? It is indeed. And it is none other than Ang Lee's Brokeback Mountain. I was excited we were going to be talking about Brokeback because, you know, our conversation about Promising Young Woman a little while ago, we were talking about what it was like in the 2000s and how there was a misogyny that was kind of rampant. And I look back on this movie and think about all the jokes, like all the gay mm-hmm. jokes that were made about this movie and, and you know, and and how it is a punchline. You know, are you going to go broke back? Are you going to do that? You know, like all these things. And I haven't really watched the movie since it came out. Uh, and I'm excited to see it again, but I'm also like looking at it with a different lens in the sense of like, wow, times have changed, right? This is acceptable to be like this kind of, oh, 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 cowboys, fucking, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's funny how, how, how much we've changed. It really is. It really is. It's strange. I I don't think I've ever realized that when you're in the time of change, you might not notice it day to day, but to, Mm -hmm. to notice it on the decade level. That is, I think that's been really uh, important. It's really, oh, I think it's been uh, a major thing to live through. There's nobody business but ours. This is a one-shot thing we got going on here. You know, it could be like this always. Yeah, this thing grabs hold of us again, we're dead. And by the way, if you are listening to us right now and you don't want us to go, we don't have to go because not only do we have 
a lot of this show in our archive, but we have a brand new show that has had a couple of episodes uh, called Screen Test. It's a movie game show that's available on Stitcher Premium. It's super fun. You don't have to know movie trivia. It's about performing. It's about teamwork. And uh, we have a bunch that are there that are ready for you to take a listen to. You can even listen to one of the free ones in our feed. Uh, but it gives you a chance to sign up for Stitcher Premium and listen to all of our shows commercial free. How about that? How about uh, that? And enjoy, I think, some of the most devilish challenges ever put to podcast. Oh, they're so good. They're so, so good. <laughs> all right. Uh, we will see you next week on Unspooled. Unspooled.